Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of the Extra Inch Podcast. My name is Windy, and I'm joined by our tactics guy, Nathan A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. Hey, mate. Or the Clarkster, as we call him. <laughs> Clarky Boots. I don't know why I said that. You call me much meaner things when we're off air, Chris. <laughs> That's probably true. There's no Barley today, although you'll hear him a bit later because he's recorded a special segment. He couldn't be with us tonight, he's busy. But um, Nathan and I thought it would be a good idea to get together and talk Spurs pre-season and transfers anyway. So um, let's start with pre-season. We're Audi Cup champions. How does that feel, Nate? Mate, we cannot be stopped. We are the monsters of pre-season. Um, yeah, they're real trophies as far as I'm concerned. So The trophy is pretty smart as well. It's like <laughs> legit... A nice trophy. <laughs> what is it? Is it? It's like it's reminiscent of like the old UEFA Cup or something. It's got... yeah, I think so. <laughs> and the players seem to like genuinely take it really seriously when mm. they were like throwing it around. As well. uh, no, I think I think they were like they were playing into it for fun. I think. Do they you were, think they were leaning into the joke of it? I I do love the image of all of our kind of homegrown academy players lined up, uh, yeah. th- thanking the fans. That was um That's that was cool. touching. That was very touching. So. You know, we've had a few matches since we last spoke, but let's focus on the Audi Cup games because they're fresh in our minds. Was there anything of, of interest going on there for you? Uh, so I thought we would line up in a diamond, having played the first two games in a diamond and finally did a, a line-up predictor thing, and then we played a 4-2-3-1, um, which I guess is fairly interesting that, that you know, there's at least... It, I was really getting the impression that we were just okay. We're just playing diamond all season now, um, so that suggests that there's there's going to be more flexibility and more experimentation. Um, it was nice to see Ericsson on the left of a four two three one because we we don't get to see him here him play there much anymore. Um, he gets put on the right, which I like less for him. Um, that may be completely irrelevant if he leaves. So never mind. But um, yeah, there's there's just not any sort of huge uh, tactical ideas being thrown out there. We saw. Sort of, I think we saw like Lamella and and Delhi and Lucas all take a turn up front just to see how that worked for them. Um, 
But yeah, all fairly standard stuff that you expect under Pochettino tactically. I I also enjoyed seeing Ericsson on the left. Um, I wrote about him recently, about his transition through different roles at Spurs and how he's kind of most recently come to be part of a midfield three. And I think that has an impact. Well, of course, it has an impact on his ability to create and score goals. Um, so if he were to stay and play on the left or the right in a 4-2-3-1, I'd be pretty happy with that. And I feel like he'd contribute a lot more in that sense. And of course, the arrival of Tongi allows that to happen because he is he's very adept at playing in a 4-2-3-1. He played that in that role plenty last season. And I thought he looked great. I thought he looked really comfortable in the role. What did you make of his performance? Yeah, so he was sort of... Um... His very first touch of the club, as we touched on before, was a was an interception followed by an assist, and that was obviously um, lovely. Um, and then he was sort of a bit quiet, um, and you, I, I didn't want to like comment on that or mention that because there's no need to start like pushing back against this brilliant new player we signed. Um, but that was in my mind. But now that he's sort of grown into it uh, through preseason and and had a had a strong game uh, against. Real. Real. Yeah, I'm getting them all confused. It all blows together. Um, so yeah, it's good to see him sort of grow into it. And, and Pochettino has been quite clear that he's going to take a little while to bed in. Hence him not appearing in the second game against Bayern at all, because it's about slowly um, getting him up to speed, both physically and with, with the, the system and how everything is played. Sure. And to follow that, uh, we had a question from Nathan Phillips, who is at Nathan D. Phillips. So I feel like he's trying to steal your thunder there already in the, with the Twitter at. Uh, he says, will Winks be more of a traditional holding midfielder this season, allowing Tongi to surge forward? Or will it be more like the Bentaleb-Mason double pivot, where Mason played a bit further up than Nabil, but neither were traditional holding midfielders? And if you don't mind me just jumping in first, I very much see Winks as transitioning to a pure six role this year. I, th- I think he's kind of been heading that way anyway. And in preseason, we've seen a lot more of that. And for my money, he does a really good job of screening these days. Um, around nine months ago, I was quite critical of his defensive, well, lack of a defensive awareness. And I thought Winks was quite often letting players run off his shoulder. And I'm pleased to say that as he's got fitter and more confident in his position, that's largely been cut out of his game. I've been very impressed with what he's been doing defensively. He's not like a traditional, uh, all, all guns blazing, tackling, intercepting defensive midfielder, but he's a, a screening player who, a bit like Eric Dyer, can shuttle players into the right areas of the pitch to then close out attacks. And I think he's... He's growing in that area and is already, of course, a very competent sort of deep line playmaker. How do you see those two working together or, or will it be those two? What do you think? Yeah, essentially, regardless of whether we play a two or three man midfield, I, I, it seems like Winks will play as the number six in that sort of, um, you know, Busquets, Jorginho, Paredes, Weigl kind of role. Um, and Ndombele will be um, the deepest eight even if there's only one eight, he'll he'll be the um, uh, defensively focused number eight, if that makes sense, a box-to-box player. So I don't think the formation will have much an effect on what will be their their typical roles most matches. Um, Yeah, that sort of... uh, And yeah, Winks has been making this move for a couple of seasons. It does make a fair bit of sense for him because I think that... um, the lack of time on the ball when you play further up the pitch doesn't do him a lot of good. Um, whereas his his uh, ability on the ball in the first phase of, of possession, um, that's where he's strongest. That's his best attribute. He does still need to make some improvements defensively, um, both in terms of just sort of the sensible uh, positioning things, but also like, you know, getting stuck in a little bit as well. Um, but I think that he, he can continue to improve there and he's got the right coach for that kind of stuff. 
Sure. And I think it makes sense for Winks. He, he kind of had to either improve his attacking output or his defensive output. Yeah. Either way. And, and he's focused on defence, and I think that makes sense for him. Um, I mean, I, I said on Twitter the other day that possession is a form of defence, and Winks is one of our best possession players. So I think there's something to be said there. Um, I'm just pleased to see him, him growing year by year as a player, to be honest. And I've been very impressed with him in pre-season. I think he's kind of hit the ground running. Um, and, and there are other players as well who I've been equally impressed with. Lamella, who, as we know, loves pre-season, I think has looked very sharp. Not always um, successfully so, particularly against Bayern, um, but but very, very sharp, um, certainly into the tackle. Nice, quick, quick crisp passing. Um, impressed with him. Ndombele, as we've mentioned, but also I think Son has looked very lively and confident, and, and that, that is a good sign because he ended the season pretty poorly. So to see him kind of get back to something like his best, most confident form is, is really pleasing. And Oliver Skip, I think has looked incredibly bright mm. as well. Um, I mean, he's someone who kind of looked at the end of last season like he was starting to show signs of becoming a genuine squad option. And I think that's certainly the case in preseason. What have you, what have you made? And, and who else has caught your eye? No, I think those are all very good shouts there. Um, so Skip really impressed me against uh, Juventus, but there's been a, there, he has still continued with, with that. Yeah, he seems, he seems very mature for being such a young player. There's definitely a maturity to his play. Um, yeah, I, when we had major midfield issues at the end of last season, I was hoping that he would at, at least see some pitch time in all of that. Mm. Um, and was a little disappointed he didn't, but um, hopefully, based on this preseason, because I do think that we are still short in midfield. Mm. You know, even with in, in Dombelli coming in, even with Winks sort of permanently taking up the number six role, I think we're still a little light just on bodies. So I would hope that that Skip can be brought through, um, and I think he'll probably mix up his roles a little bit based on wherever he's needed, um, and that should be good for him. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think you said all of the. Uh, Outside of the the young players, I think you, you, you've you've if we're counting Skip as a as a as part of the first uh, team now, I think I think those are the standout first team players. So let's talk about those young players. Uh, we had a question from uh, Sam Ricketts who says, realistically, which youth players do you think could have an impact on the main squad slash starting eleven this season? So I mean, let's first talk about the ones that have caught your eye the most because I think that. That question sort of assumes that they'll automatically be play, be kept in the first team squad, and I don't think that's necessarily the case. Um, but who, who's caught your eye? Um, who do you like the look of? And then we'll move on to talk about who might then get some games for the first team. Well, there's two players really, and, and they are Troy Parrott, who um, everyone's very excited by. Um, and then there's Tanganga, which there's he, there's also a lot of excitement for him. I'm a tiny bit uh, less excited about Tanganga than I am about Parrot, um, but there's still obviously plenty of time for both of them, not necessarily this season. Um, yeah, I mean, Parrot just looks brilliant on the ball. He looks like a very rounded player. Um, is he? He's 18. Is that right? 17. Seven, he's only 17. He's a little boy. Um, and yeah, he he. It's you really don't want to make the comparison for obvious reasons, but. Um, yeah. the, the I, round... I know where you're going. Yeah, yeah. I know where you're going. Yeah. The roundedness to his game and the fact that he is on the tall side, especially for 17, and he's not slow despite it. He's a little bit like Kane, isn't he? He really is. I mean, there's a, they are twins stylistically. They really are. And 
that who better could he have to learn from? That's the thing. And I'm I'm caught in two minds with Parrot because part of me desperately wants him to go out and load and play a full season and bang in some goals for yeah. like a league a League One club because I think long term that would help him. But then you sort of imagine him being in training with Harry Kane every day, watching him very closely, learning from everything he does on and off the pitch. And that sounds just as exciting. And, you know, frankly, if we don't sign Fernando Llorente back, he'll we'll need power. You know, he'll get minutes, he'll get games. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm totally torn on, on what, what way we go with him. Uh, but, yeah, his performances were very exciting. Very, very exciting. Um, I, I thought he did great. Um, I thought he would do well, but he did be- He exceeded expectations. And like you say, Tanganga, um, yeah, he, he was, he's just, and he always has been, just a very solid, dependable defender. The thing that's impressed me with him is his composure on the ball because yeah. that was always the thing that was slightly lacking for him and, you know, it develops at different times for defenders. He was, he's never been terrible on the ball, um, but his passing was never that great. And it looked good. He he made some really nice passes, particularly out to the flanks. Um, nothing too, you know, nothing too risky. All fairly basic. But he was, you know, he's getting the ball forward quickly and, and not afraid to pass sort of 15, 20 yards. And that was good. Um, I loved him in the under-18s. And I've mentioned many times before that I have a problem with the way that some of our youngsters stagnate when they get to the under-23s. And he was certainly one of those. So he got overtaken by TJ Ayoma, who Pochettino included in pre-season last year. Of course, this year, Ayoma's been injured, which has opened the door for Tangang- Tanganga to come back. And obviously, he's benefited from that. And that's that's a great thing. Now, he is one that I want to see go on loan because there's no way he's getting games uh, other than like maybe two cup games if we draw an easy team in the League Cup. Um, so he needs to be out on loan. I would say he could easily get into a League One side and possibly into a lower championship side pretty much immediately. So whichever one of those wants to play him 46 times next season, I'm all for that. Uh, which other youngsters caught your eye, if any? Um, oh, well, okay. Obviously, I'm very reluctant to criticize players. I am gonna um, mention in negative light one, but that's because it comes with um, a big asterisk. So I, I, I wanted to see more from Rolls. I was a little disappointed that he he didn't sort of shine much. Um, and my disappointment is is based on the belief that he will eventually that he mm. he he will get you know maybe next preseason or maybe in a cup game sometime soon. I think that there's a lot of talent with him, and I think there's reason for excitement around him. And he he didn't really he looked sort of a bit off the pace this preseason, um, and that's fine. You know that's 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 forgivable, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's a completely fair assessment. The one thing I would say is uh, he stepped up to take that fifth penalty, mm. which was. Classic Jack Rolls. He has a lot of confidence. He's very, he's a very ballsy player. He's got quite a lot of spike to his game, which I think people will like. He's quite a spiky character, and that penalty kind of summed him up. And it was great. And Pochettino's little nod to him after like was that. also great. Yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed that whole that whole thing. Um, so really, really pleased that he took the penalty because at least he had something. You know, he, he kind of got noted for something in preseason, yeah. which he, I felt he needed. And again, he needs a he needs a loan. He needs to go out and play. Um, he needs to be playing 20, 30 games this season for uh, I don't know League One Championship club, and and we go from there. 
And so the other players that were involved, uh, we had Harvey White, who's a midfielder who played at left back and I thought did very adequately at left back. Um, he's got a good left foot, so that's why he kind of got stuck out there. But really, he's a midfielder. He started as a 10 and he now plays mainly as a holding player. But he's he's very competent. He's 17, so I'm sure he'll have a whole season in the under 23s. Uh, we saw glimpses of George Marsh, who I'm not the biggest fan of, but, you know, he, he did fine at right back broadly. And we saw quite a lot of Anthony Georgiou, who is now 22, so he's the same age as Kyle Walker-Peters and Luke Amos and Josh Onoma. Um, and I think Georgiou, who had a full season out on loan at Levante's B team last year, he needs to either leave permanently this summer or to get a loan to a kind of League One or Championship team if he can. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think Georgiou's a Spurs quality player, but of course, very happy to see young players get minutes. And you know, he's doing us a favour by filling in a left back. He's really not a left back, so it was great that we had someone who could uh, fill in there and, and not be a complete disaster. Um, let's talk a bit about Juan Foy because he got what looked to me like quite a bad injury. And there was a lot of talk about Foyth because essentially he's one of, well, one of three right back options, but people are talking about him as maybe our preferred right back choice. What did you make of the injury, Nathan? And we had a question from uh, John Steggles. He says, do we need a right back as Foyth was injured by Sanchez in retaliation for the common tackle? I thought we needed a right back already, regardless. I've been quite vocal about that. Um, I do think Foyth had a decent showing. Um, you know, I don't think he's a, a terrible right back by any means. You know, he he's not. I don't think he'd be a disaster. I just think that like, look at the quality across the rest of the eleven. Look mm. at the historic issues we've had at right back. Let's stop. Look at his uh, potential ability as a centre back, where I think he should be getting minutes. Let's not piss about. Um, but <laughs> you know, um, yes, I think. I don't know how we don't know how bad the injury is, but he had to be stretched off, which is never a good sign. It looks pretty bad. Um, and you know, obviously, you, you are arriving in that situation for, for terrible reasons. But I would hope that, that should push the club on to go after a first eleven quality right back because um, what was already a disaster, I think, in the right back zone has, has got even worse. And it leaves. It leaves a decision to make with Aurier as well, um, with a, a, you know days left in the transfer window. The rumours were that he was available for transfer if a, if a club were to be interested in him. If he doesn't go, then I guess we have to play him. Uh, God, it's just I, I don't even want to think about it. It's, it's quite depressing. Um, I thought Walker Peters actually in his last game where he played the first half against Bayern, I thought he did a good job. He put in a really great cross early on and that seemed to boost his confidence. And he was quite assertive defensively, which I enjoyed. And I think that's something that's been lacking in some of his performances previously for our first team. Um, compared to where I'd seen him in the under 18s and 23s, where he literally just dominated wingers because he was so much better than them. Um, I hadn't seen that from him in the first team. And so I was quite pleased to see him be a little bit more assertive. I, I really hope that if Foyt's out, that Walker Peters, oh, and we don't sign you know anyone else, I really hope that Walker Peters gets a run and establishes himself. Um, but at this point, I, I just don't know whether Poch trusts him and you know if we're thinking that then he's probably thinking that as well and that's not a great situation for him to be in um let's talk a bit about, more about transfers then we've been linked heavily throughout the whole window with Giovanni Lucelso and at the start of the window and at the end of the window with Bruno Fernandes I I don't know a lot about Fernandes so I'm gonna be reliant on you here Nathan but we've we've had lots of questions about um both of these players but we'll go with the one from uh Maul T who is at com Bulgui, I think. He said, uh, what, which would fit better as a replacement for Ericsson, Lachelso or Fernandez? So, um, shoot, Nathan, what do you think? 
<laughs> so um, they are both quite like Ericsson in the fact that they're, they're both playmakers, right? They both have a, a similar role. Um, but also both like him in that they sort of straddle the line between playing as a number eight and playing as a number 10, which is something that Ericsson does a lot for us. Um, I think they've arrived at it from different angles. So Lachelso has spent most of his career playing as a central midfielder. And this last season has moved up front for Betis, where he scored a bunch of goals. And Fernandez, he's really... Uh, most of the time in number 10, but he's been playing as a number eight simply to get him on the ball earlier in possession, right? Um, I think that probably Lachelso, for those reasons, makes more sense for us because we want someone who can play deep as well as playing further up the pitch. I don't think we could expect Fernandez to play as an eight for us, really. Mm. Um, uh, it's, it's hard to sort of, you know, um, rate them off against one another because they're playing in different leagues and you never know how they'll adapt and it's easy you know i could say one now and then five years time that might be ridiculous Mm -hmm. because you know things change um uh, certainly um fernandez is doing more in portugal than the chelsea was doing in spain but that's you know uh, you don't know how to weight that um they're both definitely very good options uh although my preferred option would be to sign ericsson to a new contract sure Putting you on the spot somewhat here, is there a player that you would liken Bruno Fernandes to who we might be more familiar with at the moment? Um, or is there no obvious comparison that you can think of? I, I, I have thought of someone, but I'm reluctant to say it because people will get to... <laughs> so, uh, he, for me, he's a little bit like De Bruyne playing as a number eight. Okay. Um, because he's, again, he's playing as a number eight, but really um, he's being direct. He's getting the ball and he's making something happen. You know, he's making uh, he, immediately. He's he's shoot, firing off that cross or he's playing that through ball and he loses the ball a lot because of that. Right? He he takes risk after risk after risk because hey, we're sporting and mm. you know we're in charge of this game. Um, and and I think that you know he would adapt that a little. I think if you look at his games in the Champions League, he did adapt his game a little bit to be a bit more safe, a bit more sensible. Um, please remain calm with the De Bruyne comparison because I'm not. I'm not saying that he's at that level. I'm just saying he's approaching the game in a similar in a similar way. Sure. No, I, I see that. So you basically, it's kind of he's constantly got his head up and he's looking for runners and he's trying to make things happen. And, yeah. and that sounds that sounds very Ericssony as well. You know, yeah. that's 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 what Ericsson can be like when he's at his best. I think it's worth pointing out that Lachelso is what 18 months younger than Fernandez, um, and and that might be part of the reason why he seemed to be our first. Choice. Um, just purely because there's more value there uh, long term because you've got more years ahead of you with a uh, with Lachelso. Um I'm I'm absolutely intrigued as to the way we've handled this transfer window, and I, I don't think we can sort of talk about it too much right now because there's still time to go. There's time to sort of rescue it and make it into a, a good transfer window. Um, but I, I'm interested in your thoughts on why we've left it so late to get one of these players or any other players yeah. in. Um, is this purely Levy's bargaining tactic? I, I, you know, we've, we've spoken before about how Daniel Levy drives a hard bargain. And, and this is the case that he, he's waiting for the selling club to get a bit desperate and then he can get, a, a, you know, a cheaper deal, essentially. Or is he waiting for the selling club to secure a replacement or secure or to spend the money that might come from 
the potential transfer? Is he waiting for other things to fall into place, basically? Uh, yes, I think that definitely happens. I think betters have um, been put into an awkward situation, but they're still holding up and they're not allowing themselves to be bullied so far, at least. So <laughs> my understanding, and, and this isn't 100% reliable, it's, it's based on a bunch of things I've read from maybe not perfect sources, but they, um, as far as I know, bought um, him with the intention of selling him this summer with, with using his value as a player to launch their summer. Um, so I believe he signed to uh, a special contract designed to him to be sold where he is paid low wages this summer, wages that Betis can afford this summer. And then if the, if Betis turned down a deal exceeding a certain amount, I believe 60 million euros or something, then his wages are automatically dramatically increased to the ones he was on before under PSG, right? So uh, clearly Spurs haven't triggered that increase yet. Otherwise, you know, it would all be kicking off. So, um, yeah, so, and Betis have, have gone out and they've bought Nabil Fekir, who is an outstanding player, but has like no knees. He's uh, the lovely <laughs> king of attacking midfield. Um, and they, they've bought elsewhere as well. They, they've invested quite heavily. Um, but they haven't sold on the player who's meant to be funding that. So yeah, Levy is definitely trying to squeeze them into a difficult situation where they accept a lesser bid than they, they wanted to, but they haven't done so yet. We also have to understand that Ericsson is still at Spurs. So we also maybe don't know for sure that we need to replace him just yet. So, I mean, there's a huge number of factors. Uh, but I mean, fair play to Betis for, for standing, for standing up for so long. And the other thing, I suppose, is that Wanyama and Dyer are based at Spurs yeah. as well. So, you know, our midfield, although it's not clogged in the best possible way, it's clogged. You know, there, there are a lot of bodies there and they might not necessarily be the players we want to be rolling out week in, week out. But, you know, they're, if they're in the squad, they're going to have to play at some point. So you don't want to end up in a situation where you've got too many players, too many midfield players to actually give them all games in rotation because you just lose value and players get unhappy and disgruntled um plus of course it's a hugely ridiculously inflated market and i think we kind of all expected inflation this this time round, but it's gone way beyond what i expected i mean harry maguire has gone for 90 million to <laughs> united which i just cannot quite get my head around so you know betis and sporting both wanting big money just kind of fits in with what everyone else is doing and just makes sense so you know good luck to daniel levy if he can if he can force the price down to some degree and find some value in amongst this crazy market but um you know the the downside to that of course is we've gone through pre-season we've had the opportunity with the players on the training ground to implement tactics styles whatever and we haven't got any new players other than Ndombele to do that with and that is a big shame um and I'm sure Pochettino is not thrilled about that he doesn't seem to be he he no. seems to be angry but he's maybe being dishonest uh, I mean I don't know we're just sort of reading into that basically but he there's definitely a frustration where that exactly that is coming from we can't really claim his his press conferences around preseason have been very unusual let's put it that way uh he, he's not his usual friendly self is he that's true Okay, we'll leave it there, Nathan. But we'll now hand over to Bardi, who's recorded um, a section on the rule changes that are coming in for this season, which I'm very much looking forward to listening to. So um, over to Bardi, and we'll speak to you soon. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. 
Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So, this season we'll see some major changes in place for the Premier League. And as we're the extra inch, and we're a nice kind of bunch of guys... And I honestly can't discuss any more ITK without going all Michael Douglas and falling down. We thought we'd give you a quick rundown of what's been changed and what this means for all of us. And who better to run you through the new rules than an Italian, someone whose DNA is set to always tweak and bend the rules as much as possible. So brace yourselves. Here we go. Rule numero uno. In a blow to all proper football men, the drop ball is no more. Not that they're truly contested anyway at the top level. From now on, in a situation which calls for a drop ball, the football will simply be kicked back to the goalkeeper. This stops the old practice of kicking the ball into touch and forcing a team to take a throw in from a deep position. Number two, the wall. Attacking players are no longer allowed to get in the wall and cause confusion. They must be no more than one metre away. Otherwise, the defending team will get an indirect free kick. Also new, even though I had no idea this was a thing, when a defending team takes a free kick in their own penalty area, the ball is in play once the kick is taken. It no longer has to leave the penalty area before it can be played. Rule number three, goal kicks. This is the one which is making me a bit nervous. Hugo can now play the ball from a goal kick and the defender no longer needs to wait for the ball to leave the area before touching it. This will probably see the end of the two centre-backs splitting and a central midfielder filling in. Hugo, Jan and Toby can now play one-twos in the six-yard box. Prepare yourselves for a lot of proper football men screaming, Hoof it! Even more than last season. Rule numero cuatro. Quick and easy. Players will get booked for taking off their shirts or going into the crowd to celebrate a goal. Even if the goal ends up being disallowed. Personally, I'm looking forward to an opposition player scoring what they think is the winner or equaliser only for VAR to pull it back and then hopefully for them to pick up the second yellow card for an over-exuberant celebration. Rule number five, the handball rule. This is the complicated one, so bear with me. A free kick will be awarded if the ball goes into the goal after touching an attacking player's hand or arm, if a player gains control of the ball after it's touched their hand or arm, if the ball touches a player's hand or arm, which has made their body unnaturally bigger, or if the ball touches a player's hand or arm when it's above their shoulder. However, there are get-out clauses. It will not be a free kick if the ball comes off an opponent's body and hits his hand or arm. So, for example, Musa Sissoko, Champions League final, not a penalty, but Spursy. See reference Spursy. It will also not be a free kick if the ball comes off an opponent's body and then bounces up and hits your player's hand or arm. It's not a free kick if the ball touches a player's hand or arm close to their body and they've not made it unnaturally bigger. And it's also not a free kick if a player is falling and the ball touches their hand or arm or their hand or arm is between their body and the ground for support. For example, a sliding tackle. So a lot of this makes sense. 
But once again, there seems to be a lot open to interpretation, which means Windy will pretty much be saying handball penalty to everything. Rule six, we're getting there. Stay strong. Free kicks can now be taken quickly before you had to wait for the referee to issue the card. But now the attacking team can just go for it and the referee can book the player later on in play. This applies to both red and yellow cards. Now we're going to smash through a few quick ones. Rule seven, if you win the toss, you can now decide which end to attack and whether or not you want to kick off. That's a big one. Rule number eight, there are now two types of breaks allowed in football. If it's hot, of course, cooling breaks, anything from 90 seconds to three minutes or a drinks break, which is one minute. Rule number nine, multicolored patterned undershirts are allowed if they're the same color as the sleeve of the main shirt. Thank God for that. Rule number 10. Team officials can now receive red and yellow cards from the referee if they've been behaving badly. Also, if the ref hears some abuse but doesn't know who said it, the most senior person in the dugout, of course normally the manager, will receive the punishment in their place. Now, back with one of the juicier rules. Number 11. Penalties. The team's penalty taker is allowed to have quick treatment or assessment and then come back onto the field to take the penalty. Previously, this wasn't allowed. The game would have to continue without him. The goalkeeper must not be touching goalposts, crossbar or the net, and they must not be moving. The goalkeeper must have at least one part of his foot on the line when the kick is taken. He is also not allowed to stand behind the line. With VAR, I think this will be enforced heavily. Rule number 12. This is the last one on the list. Well done for sticking with me. And hopefully you haven't done what I do to Windy and speed this up times 10. Substitutions. To stop a manager pulling off a player furthest away from the dugout to waste time, players are now required to leave the field by the nearest point on the touchline or goal line. However, the referee can make the player run towards the dugout if he feels that it's unsafe for that player to exit the pitch anywhere else. Also, if they're injured, they can go the quickest way, I guess. Unless it's an Arsenal player, then just leave them there. Roll them off into the gutter and leave them there. Anyway, that's your 12 changes for this Premier League season. You've been listening to The Extra Inch. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Bardi for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindmer for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud, D. Lindmer. Do check him out. He's great. great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu dot com code GLOW.